the Phenomenalist podcast, an open access project in parallel of the Phenomenalist magazine. Today, on Spaces of Possibilities and African Mobilities, with Umpo Matsipa. Hello everyone, today my guest is Umpo Matsipa, who's a researcher at the Witt School of Architecture and Planning in Johannesburg, as well as the curator of African Mobilities. This is not a refugee camp exhibition um, that we will be talking about today. Uh, hello Umpo. Hi. Hi. So, thanks a lot for taking a little bit of your time in Paris to speak with me. No, thank you very much for the invitation, Leopold. It's really good to be here. Thank you. Um, so I guess let's, uh, let's jump right in. Um, uh, you, have, uh, you have been curating this beautiful exhibition, African Mobilities, and Mobilities is what we can probably start uh, talking about since the exhibition itself is mobile, uh, but within a very particular uh, geographical setting. I mean, it's, it's, it, went to, it went to Munich in Germany, but it's mostly been uh, touring in, uh, on the African continent. And I know that this is kind of a question that you have in mind in, in where, where is it important that this exhibition is seen? And uh, you d deliberately chose a non-Eurocentric uh, uh, sort of system of validation of your, of your exhibition. So I'd, I'd love to talk more about that as a, as a sort of geographical manifesto of, uh, of where this exhibition is shown and to whom. Can you, can you tell us a bit about it? Well, I mean, it's really interesting that we're sitting with um, the map of Chimurenga, um, the Chimurenga Library on Circulations open on your kitchen table, because one of the conversations um, that I've had with many of the exhibition contributors is around the politics of not just migration, but circulation. And this is largely in conversation with Chimurenga. And um, reading um, authors like um, Fred Morton, and his theorizations of the undercommons uh, in some ways informs the way that I think about, about um, the exhibition. So the invitation to curate uh, this exhibition came from the Architecture Museum, and it took a really long time to commit to what this project would be, because in my experience, a lot of architecture exhibitions are not necessarily that interesting. Um, they require a lot of resources that are expended in um, premium institutions in North America and Europe, and they don't very often um, reach um, African audiences, or not easily at any rate. So um, the primary impetus for me was really thinking about what kinds of publics um, could... Um, could be gathered around questions of African mobility um, and also to think about the fact that um, students in different parts of the world have different and differential degrees of mobility, right? So you have a lot of uh, international traveling studios that come to places like South Africa and produce research and speculate about African spatial futures. 
and African design students don't have the luxury very often of traveling abroad to research French cities or American cities and speculate about French spatial futures or American spatial futures. So this really was um, an attempt um, to recenter African imaginations about African spatial futures. Mm. And uh, I mean, the, when uh, when it comes to these difficulties to be mobile within even the the, the African continent itself, I think we one example you were giving me a few days ago was that to go from Lubumbashi to 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 Brazzaville or to Kinshasa cost more than to go to Paris. Is that is that what you is that was this the example you? That's what giving? I'm. That's what yeah. I'm told, and I think that the cost of the visa is more or less the same. Mm. So even though, for example speaking from a South African perspective, um, it's a two-hour flight from Johannesburg to Lubumbashi. Mm. But the level of labor that's required to cross that border is equivalent to the level of labor required to travel to Europe uh, on a Schengen visa. So our infrastructures, um, both legal and physical, are really not designed to facilitate um, a lot of interactions between African African countries and also um, in some instances the infrastructure isn't structured to enable connection even within countries themselves so I think that the question of mobility is inextricably tied to colonial infrastructures of extraction and um, I remain um, hopeful that we will overcome these kinds of colonial infrastructures and have a more sort of um, integrated network across the continent and so the, the subtitle of the exhibition is uh, this is not a refugee camp exhibition which i guess is still like a sort of address to to europe uh, and and this sort of weird fetishization of uh, uh, of uh, um, i mean at least for architects of, of for example the architecture of refugee camp i mean we we cannot count the amount of projects that tries to visualize refugee camps and uh, and um, redraw them or redraw like self self-built villages that are built by people in exile um, and um, and so so I suppose despite the exhibition being resolutely eurocent uh, non-eurocentric it's like the subtitles itself itself is a sort of reminder to it's a sort of provocation to to a, a sort of European and North American audience isn't it? I think it's more of a response to a, uh, the kind of asymmetry in knowledge production around um, the built environment, right? So uh, a lot of the knowledge that is produced, publications around African architecture, are not necessarily produced by African architects themselves, or they're not produced within a paradigm that allows us to imagine alternative futures. So um, I have a lot of respect for people who do work with refugees and who do work in refugee camps. Um, however, I think that um, we need an expanded vocabulary for thinking about how Africans move beyond the paradigm of containment, crisis and humanitarianism. So the African Mobilities Project was an invitation to be imaginative, to think about alternative spatial futures um, that are not only circumscribed by the figure of uh, black death, but rather about the possibilities that um, mobility might open up in the way that we think about the future of cities, not only cities in Africa, but cities across the world. So it's a, it's a, it's a challenge, it's an invitation to, to think about the role of architecture and planning in, re, in reframing the way in which um, 
our environments are spaces of refuge or can serve as spaces of refuge um, and also to deal with the complexities that come with um, urbanization that's driven by so many different competing and complex processes. Mm. Um, so one one part of the exhibition has a very strong uh, sort of cartographic uh, production and um, and uh, a cartographic that is also resolutely challenging the the sort of canon of colonial cartography. Uh, and uh, you were you were mentioning the Chimuranga Library map uh, that we have on the on the on the table. Indeed, I mean that's like an absolutely gorgeous map, showing a little bit what is the political imaginary of Chimuranga, uh, from from music to to literature to to um, to their own books to to. Um, um, to, I mean, a var various clouds of and constellation of uh, of things that are part of their of their of the table on which they on which they work. Uh, we also have like an incredible uh, map that we actually just spent like forty five minutes talking about before pressing record because it's just it's just fascinating, called cartographic entanglements by. Um, uh, Nolan Oswald Denis, Dana Wariba, and uh, Tim Gossi. Tim Gossi Goniwe, um, as well as one uh, uh, one map that you actually showed yesterday at Pompidou Center during a talk that you were giving by um, Aisha Balde. Yeah, also also incredible. Um, could you tell us a little bit about this practice of mapping that is not strictly, uh, far from it, sometimes not even spatial at all, but um, that sort of links different dimension of time, imaginaries, and uh, and um, and futuri futurism, and and all all those things that sort of creates different various layers of the maps that makes them so incredibly rich to read and, and uh, sort of dive in? I mean, I, th I think that a lot of my um, earlier thinking around, around this, and this is a conversation that we're having earlier, was around the difficulty of um, representing emerging spatial practices and forms in African cities. Um, and so cartography, um, map making, diagrams is one entry point into understanding very, very complex systems that don't fall into traditional systems of representation. So um, the collaboration with the Chimurenga Library on Circulations, um, which was a collaboration between Chimurenga um, and myself, was really sort of crowdsourcing a set of references that could help to expand our reference points for how we think conceptually about questions of like mobility and circulation. Um, and finding constellations of ideas that open up entire universes for thinking this um, question through, whether it's through curatorial practice, spatial practice, representation, music. Um, and, and what I really respect and appreciate about the Chimurenga process is the fact that they've invented their own system, their own indexical system. So on the one hand, it has the appearance of a library, but on the other, there's also a whole... Um, new system that is being introduced that is that has the appearance of taxonomy but actually is not taxonomic in the way that that one might expect so it's a kind of reconceptualization of what constitutes a library and what constitutes legitimate forms of knowledge so 
um, you know, in conversation with Chimurenga, the way that they describe their practice is that it's a counter cartography, right? So it's it's um, establishing a new set of relations in a field of knowledge that maybe are not considered um, to belong in the same page, and yet now they do. And I think that for me, that is uh, one of the consistent uh, themes that connects the Chimurenga um, library map, uh, cartographic entanglements, and also um, the territory in between, that these are um, three artistic intellectual practices that are basically producing a new set of field conditions um, in search of possibility and creating spaces of possibility and spaces of articulation. Well, and spaces of possibility is pretty, is very much what we're going to keep talking about uh, through two different um, two different dimensions. The first one being futurisms, because that's also part of the part of your exhibition, as uh, what uh, of of uh, various visions of um, African futurism from the and um, and so so I wanted to I wanted to ask you indeed about with with this expression that seems to be very important for you because I, I heard it already a few times yesterday the the spaces of possibilities mm-hmm. uh, in relation to futurism can you tr- can you describe how you articulate that together I I mean I never really um, use the term futurism because I I already feel that that's quite loaded yeah but but what I am interested in is is this idea of um, of speculation and like wild speculations right so um, very often and this is tied to to this kind of subtitle of the exhibition that in some ways has fallen off um, that the framework for thinking about African futures Um, and spaces of possibilities either through the paradigm of development or the paradigm of humanitarianism, so this Enlightenment project. And my question is whether Africans have the desire, the willingness, um, um, the space to imagine other kinds of futures for themselves and to speculate about what will happen if we project current conditions into the future, what would it mean to intervene in the present condition and imagine something radically different in terms of our modes of our product modes of production, our relationship to technology, um, the way that we conceive what it means to be human, the relationship between like the human and the machine, um, the the future of um, our natural environment, um, the future of life and the idea of habitability under conditions of extraction and neoliberal um, capitalist development. So um, there are so many different futures that, that, that we're all engaged with quite actively. And I think that we need to do more of this kind of work of like projecting uh, both into the future, but also projecting into the past and having much more complex understandings of time and the connections that we draw um, in order to make sense of the present. Uh, this is me uh, a little bit projecting my obsessions here, my current obsession. But can you tell us more about time because this is and how we need to understand it differently? Because that, that's something that I'm both struggling and at the same time really having a, a slightly more complex uh, vision of it than maybe let's say even two years ago. So uh, I guess I, I'd love to hear more. <laughs> I think I mean I would I think that um, my I spent about eight months just looking at the work of Mary Sibande when she did um, her work on on Sophie, um, Long Live the Dead Queen. And 
what was really interesting to me about her costumes and her and her postures was that it was this kind of scrambling of uh, temporal codes. So on the one hand, she would you know wear these like really luxurious Victorian gowns, but that that also carried the iconography of servitude, um, and she would have a Superman. Uh, sweater at the same time that um, she's invoking um, sort of 18th century um, mannerisms or costumes or, or props and that to me speaks a lot to it it helps me to think about the present as as always entangled with the past and the fact that the past is not fully past so in a city like Johannesburg, for instance, it, the physical environment is itself an archive of colonialism, imperialism, extraction, and, and it persists, right? So this idea of time as linear and that we somehow, that there's a beginning and an end and we kind of move in this very rational, uh, progressive um, manner through time is completely sort of undermined by the fact of living in the city and that we have to inhabit this archive at the same time as being in the present. So um, this binary between past and present and this idea that there's a very clean line that separates them is something that I find very difficult to reconcile in terms of my own lived experience of the city. Um, and I think that there are many other scholars who, who talk about sort of like the afterlives of slavery or the afterlives of colonialism or the after secret life of property, um, which has to do with the fact that the end of a particular sort of historical moment doesn't necessarily mean that those relations come to an end, that they persist in the present. So so this idea of past and present, I think, is a false binary that makes it difficult to understand how the present is constituted and, and how the past is still very much alive. Mm. And so in terms of spaces of possibility, to go back to this expression, you, uh, one, one of the things that I know you're very, very attached to is the question of pedagogy. And, uh, and so, the, I mean, I, I know that it's, it's, it's unfair to ask you this question because it's obviously a question you're, you're, you don't have a, a, a clear-cut answer to, but how do we create spaces of poss possibilities? in pedagogy, in, in your own context at Wits University, oh, for Leopold, example? I do not have a clear-cut answer to anything about anything. <laughs> but I mean, for me, the African Mobilities Project was, was it was, a as I told you before, it is, it's a love story. Um, but it's also about um, having taught in the university and understanding, you know, its requirements for competence and professionalization and all of the conversations that get left by the wayside because they don't fit comfortably or easily in the framework of professionalization, I thought it was really important to have a platform or a series of platforms across the African continent where students can sort of step outside of these kinds of British 1950s educational models and have conversations across disciplines. Right. So um, in many of the platforms, you would have artists, political scientists, historians having conversations about space. And it was a, and it was important to have a space that isn't necessarily about evaluation, but rather about exchange. Um, and that is quite horizontal in the way that it's structured in, um, 
yeah quite horizontal in the way that it's structured and i think it's important to have to have these spaces where um we're all students we're all learning we're all vulnerable um i've been in so many cities that i know nothing about and i've had to rely completely on the expertise and knowledge um of the people who live there and it's incredibly humbling but it's also quite liberating because then i have i don't have the burden of being the expert in the room and i can be curious um and ask questions um without necessarily expecting a definitive answer so the platforms are not just about disseminating expertise but rather are um openings right for everybody to be vulnerable and for everybody to be able to learn um from each other and from the environments that we inhabit um perhaps as a last question i am thinking that uh something we could have talked about maybe a little bit earlier in the conversation but was how the exhibition itself is uh is not just an exhibition it's also um it's also a series of events uh in various places of the continent uh in cape verde in uh, uganda in zimbabwe in, in south africa uh, but also in new york um and munich and munich okay let's not forget and lagos and lagos sorry god <laughs> uh Can you can you tell us a little bit how those events both have uh, simultaneously have I'm sure uh, some very strong uh, specificities, but also how do they construct something together in the context of this exhibition? I mean the the I think that the traditional model is that you have a centralized event and a set of satellite events that then feed the main event, um, and the way that I had conceptualized it. Um, and there are many many failures in in this conceptualization and i would do it very differently if i had the opportunity to do it again was was to think about this as as a distributed exhibition and that um the main goal wasn't to put work on the walls but rather to identify um practices organizations collectives artists who were already engaged in creative research practices but who didn't necessarily have the institutional support of universities and um big research grants in order to do the work so the impetus around the distributed exhibition was actually finding um a way to distribute resources that would support um practitioners and practitioners who are already deeply embedded in their contexts and to support research that was ongoing so um to be honest i had no idea what we were going to have in the exhibition um until maybe two weeks before the opening so this was all sort of work that was in development and the only way that this exhibition came together was a combination of magic um solidarity um and just bloody good luck but the the impulse for me was really around this idea of possibility right that there are all of these incredibly brilliant people across the continent who are asking interesting questions um who are not attached to major fund fund um uh super resourced organizations that maybe run really small spaces but whose work should be celebrated and should be supported in some way so that was the initial impulse and that's what i mean by possibility so it wasn't about me imagining possibility but rather that this is a collective project that is distributed that is multi-centered um where the concerns are deeply rooted in their context so we're all responding to one question but how we understand that question um and how we interpret that question 
is very different based on where we're located, which is why the outcome from Kampala is very different from the outcome from Lagos, which is also very different to the outcome from Zimbabwe. Um, I can't remember your question, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the the concept of the exhibition and these things. So so the so the exchanges and there were seven in total were 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 about identifying collaborators across the continent who are basically co-curators of their own coordinators and 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 um, co-curators who got to define what the key questions were that they wanted to explore. Um, and my role was really to try and provide some level of support for that, but also to respect their autonomy um, as scholars, as artists, as researchers to to develop that on their own terms. So the last thing that I should say is that um, after the Munich uh, opening in 2018, we had our African premiere uh, in Lagos in September this year, 2019. And that the next iteration of African Mobilities, which is going to be a more substantial show, um, is going to be in Johannesburg in April 2020. So we're all working very hard towards that and are really looking forward to seeing how um, Johannesburgers respond to some of these questions. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Mpo. Oh, there's one more thing yeah, I wanted to say, which, which is actually super, super important, which is... You know, that uh, we're talking in relation to your own project about how the work that we do needs to be located in space and time. And and that even though we're, we're all very sort of uh, invested in, in our specific projects, that, that, that there is a kind of citational genealogy in the work that we do. And I think I would be remiss if I didn't um, acknowledge two um, projects that were absolutely um, essential in getting me to the point of thinking about this mobilities project. And the first is um, Studio X Johannesburg, which was um, supported by Global Africa Lab and uh, Mark Wigley's Studio X uh, network. And the second one um, was a set of conversations that I had with uh, BC Silver and also um, engaging and reading her book, Ashiko, um, which was a traveling curatorial school that she ran for six consecutive years across the African continent. So there were two um, different models of um, mobile pedagogical platforms that um, informed the approach to mobilities. Um, and, and it's an ongoing conversation about how to make these kinds of projects sustainable. And that's all I have to say. <laughs> Thank you, Humbo.